Pastor John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. chapter 6 and verse number 4. And boy, it's so hard for me not to go and unpack this entire paragraph, this entire chapter, uh, but I've, I promised the Lord that I would stick right with this one verse. And, uh, and there's so many other things that I, that I kind of want to say, but, but we'll stick with this one verse right here. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4. Look what it says. Fathers, I want you to see the word fathers as a verb and not a noun. And I realize probably every English teacher in here say, Father, it's not a verb. No, 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 no. I, I want you to look at it as a verb. I realize it's a noun. I want you to see this. Dads, God is calling time out this morning to speak to you. I mean, he troubled my heart and spirit about it. I couldn't get away from it. I know he wants me to deliver this message today. And it's for all of us. But I want you to see how it starts out. It's, this isn't directed to the mothers. This isn't directed to the community. It isn't directed to the church. It's directed to dads. And I want you to see the first word fathers as a verb. It's what we do. There's a tremendous amount of action that takes place in being a father, okay? I want you to see it as a verb. I realize that may not be exactly, that's how I want you to look at it. Fathers, what do we do? Don't stir up anger in your children. But, starts with a negative, makes a tremendous contrast, goes almost to the polar opposite, and says, but, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear God, I don't know what you're doing, but I know I'm where I need to be. I know, God, I'm dealing with the text that I need to deal with this morning. God, this is not what I prepared to preach all week long. Weeks coming into this, studying out this series on the end times, my entire study habits over the last several weeks have been all in eschatology. But God, you nudged my heart yesterday, actually Friday in my office. Yesterday, I could not get away from the wrestling with you over this verse of Scripture. And as I sat in my living room last night, typing out some things with this passage of Scripture until one this morning, God, I pray now you'd help me to deliver this. God, I know you're at work. There's a dad here today that needs to hear this. 
Maybe it was just me that needed to hear it. But I pray that we would all benefit from this verse of Scripture. There's so many other places we could go in the Bible, so many other verses that would be relevant for Father's Day. But God, I believe that this is the verse for Victory Church today. Help us to rest in this verse. Help us to glean from this verse. Help us to leave here fathering like we never have before as a result, God, of what you're going to do today in our hearts and in our lives. Bless now the preaching, the reading, the studying of your word today. I pray that you would do your work in all of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just let me start this message today by saying this. I love being a man. And you say, praise the Lord. Amen. I mean, it is good to be a man. Isn't that right, guys? Come on, guys. Don't wimp out on me here. I mean, isn't it good to be a man? I mean, if there's anything that's needed in our culture today, it's more masculine men. Hello? Men that aren't afraid just to be men. <laughs> See, or, or, or Sydney, I got to pick on you just a little bit. The other evening, we were at our church softball game, and all the guys were in the dugout. We were playing softball. It was hot. We were nasty. We were sweating. A lot of the guys were sliding. Blood was going everywhere. Guys were spitting. I mean, guys were just doing what guys do in the dugout and on the softball field, okay? You, you get the picture. We're on the softball, we're in the dugout. Jake slid in a second or did something, slid, fell, filled in a ball, what? Third, slid in a third. I couldn't remember exactly where it was. Slid in the third base. Well, here's rule number one. We discovered playing softball at O'Fallon Park several years ago. You don't slide out there. I mean, they literally have glass in that field. I mean, it's not glass, but it will cut you up. I promise you. I did it one time. I, I won't do it again. I will just, I'll take it out. I'm not sliding anymore. Jake had to learn that lesson. Okay. I guess we've all, we've all slid once and I don't know that many slide anymore after that. He slid. He came back to the dugout and Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, man, blood running down his leg and his elbows. And he, yeah, good, you know, and we go on with the game. We turn around and Sydney had come out of the bleachers and ran into the dugout and was pampering Jake right there in front of all the guys. And as soon as I saw that, I said, no, 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 that cannot happen. Sydney, this is a guy zone. Out, out of the dugout, out of the dugout. And all the guys just kind of almost attacked her and jumped her. And she ran out of the dugout as quickly as she ran into the dugout. Jake, you're okay. Sydney, this is awful. This is a guy zone. Amen? It's good being a guy. I mean, I just enjoy it. Matter of fact, let me give you a top 10. I know David Letterman does the top 10 list on, uh, on his show, his late night show. And let me give you top 10 reasons why it's good to be a man. Number one, or number 10, I'm going to work 10 down to number one. Number 10, you know stuff about cars, about building, about sports, about NASCAR, about racing. Hello? I mean, we can get together and we can just talk about stuff. I mean, masculine stuff like that. Number nine, get this. You can go to the bathroom without a support group. Hello? I mean, we just get up and go. 
We don't ask the other guys if they would like to go. Matter of fact, that's all. And when you get to the bathroom, the men's restroom, there's man code that happens. You don't talk. You don't look. Hello? You don't go in there and talk to the guy. No, you don't do that. I had one guy talk to me. I said, give me your man. You don't talk to me in the bathroom. Hello? You just don't do that. Number eight. <laughs> Number eight. If someone forgets to invite you to something, you can still be friends. So you went to a party. How was it? Great. Did you have a good time? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't, don't matter. I was doing stuff anyway. Glad you. I'm, we can still be friends. I'm amazed at the drama that takes place on the opposite gender. Number seven. Get this. You can drop by to see a friend without bringing a little gift. Hello. <laughs> Number six. If another guy shows up at the same party in the same outfit, you might become lifelong buddies. It's okay. It's not, I can't believe they showed up in the same dress. And I, who cares? They made more than just one. Somebody's wearing the same thing. Number five. One wallet, one pair of shoes, one color, all seasons. Hello? <laughs> I mean, literally, just a few pair of shoes is all you need. Number four. <laughs> I like this one. There is always a game on somewhere. Right? I mean, there's something. Where is it? I know there's something. Game on everywhere at all times. Number three. Your pals can be trusted never to trap you with a so. Notice anything different? All right. Don't, don't put me there. You know? Guys don't do that stuff. Hello? Guys, you ever been trapped like that? <laughs> yeah, every one of us been trapped like that. Number two reasons why it's good to be a guy. If something mechanical doesn't work, you can bash it with a hammer and throw it across the room, spit on it. It's okay, you're a guy. Number one reason why it's good to be a guy, you can do your nails with a pocket knife. You know? It's just good being a guy, is it not? And I think what we need today, we need, we need some dads that are raising up boys and letting them know it's okay to be a man. It's okay to be a guy. I was, um, I won't share, you all, share with you all my experiences. You, you wouldn't want to hear them anyway, but I, I had this one experience here recently and, and it's a whole, a whole, I just want to go there. Guys not being guys, women trying to be guys and I'm like, come on. God says in his word, there is a difference between a man and a woman. Hello? Right? And I think something that's needed in our culture today is we need guys being guys. But one of the things that's also needed, we need fathers being fathers. We need dads to get out of this passive, apathetic role and realize that being a father is a lot more than just being a noun it's a verb I mean it takes work would you agree guys we're living in a generation of tremendous growth in fatherless homes and it's having a, a profound impact on the family structure on homes today 
Now I realize we've got single parents in our congregation and I understand where you are and what's going on. I want you to know that we love you and we pray for you. But I want you to know that our, our culture and our society today is reaping some not so good benefits, reaping a, the whirlwind, if you will, of, of fatherless homes. And guys, I mainly say this to the dads. I want you to see how important that it is for you to take your proper role in the home, in the family, in the house. What's some of the impact of fatherless homes? Get this, 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists motivated with displaced anger come from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions come from fatherless homes. 85% of all youth sitting in prison today, grew up in a fatherless home. Nearly two out of every five children in America do not live with their fathers. Let me share with you another statistic, and this is from the 2009 U.S. Census. It says that 13.7 million homes in the United States are fatherless. Those single mothers, according to the 2009 U.S. Census, those single mothers are responsible for 21.5 million fatherless children. There's a need today for dads to re-engage with their families. What does this mean? means that children from fatherless homes, get this, they are 4.6 times more likely to commit suicide. They're 6.6 times more to become teenaged mothers, of course, if they're girls. 24.3 times more likely to run away. 15.3 times more likely to have behavioral disorders. 6.3 times more likely to be in a state-operated institution. 10.8 times more likely to commit rape. 6.6 times more likely to drop out of school. 15.3 times more likely to end up in prison as a teenager. 33 times more likely to be seriously abused so that they require medical attention. And 73 times more likely to be killed simply because dad is not engaged in their life. Now understand, whenever I say a fatherless home, I'm not necessarily just talking about dad being absent from the home. I'm talking about dad being in the home but not being engaged in the home as well. Sitting with a spirit of apathy and just trusting everything to work out without engaging in the family. Church, I believe it really is time that we as a church, that we get back to the biblical theology of fatherhood. And we get back to the Word of God. And we see what our roles are. You see, I believe that God clearly defines in His Word that we as dads, we are to be difference makers in the homes. We're to be leaders in the home. We're to be the spiritual leader, the financial leader. Every, we're to take the lead in the home. We're to love our wife as Christ loved the church. We're to nurture and care for our children. We're to train them and teach them. Look for those God moments. Listen, being a father is a verb and not just a noun. When I pull my ear, I'm looking for an amen. You're welcome to say one, okay? 
Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4, it's a very, very short verse. But boy, I tell you, it packs a tremendous punch right to the heart of every man. Look what it says. And fathers, don't stir up anger in your children. The NIV says, don't exasperate your children, but bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now, guys, I guess to really understand the impact of this particular verse of Scripture, you must understand first century Christianity or the world at this time in the biblical world. You've got to realize there was really very, very little value on a human life. And in this particular writing, this particular season in the biblical text and the culture of that day, the dads were owners of possession over their wives and over their children. I mean, this was a tremendous paradigm shift for Paul to write and say, do not stir your children up unto wrath, but to train them and give them instruction in the Lord. That was a tremendous paradigm shift for men in that day. You see, in that day, the wife was nothing but a piece of property. The children were nothing but pawns and slaves and a piece of property for the dad. The dad was the dictator. The dad was the ruler. The dad was the supreme being in the home. Whatever he said, there was Roman law that gave him authority to do whatever he wanted to do, to say whatever he wanted to say, to treat his family however he wanted to treat them. It was lawful in the land of that day for him to have his children killed, to leave his wife, to treat them like whatever. It was okay in that day. So for Paul to come out in Ephesians 6 and verse number 4 and say that dads, fathers, do not stir up anger in your children, but nurture them and train them and give them instruction in the Lord. It was a tremendous paradigm shift. It was counter-cultural for that day. For dads to be engaged in their family's life in a loving and caring and nurturing way. As a matter of fact, when a child was born in the biblical days, they would bring the baby. And I thought about this as I thought about Matt and Leslie this week and birthing Eva into the world. In the biblical days, Matt, you know how it would have worked? They would have brought Eva. There wouldn't have been a big celebration like there was with you guys' baby. The mother just has the baby. It's just a piece of property. She's just a piece of property. Not much more value than the camel tied up outside in the biblical days. They would bring the baby in the biblical days, and this was lawful in that day. They would lay the newborn babe between the feet of the father as he perched in his chair. The father had one of two responses. Either one... He would pick up the baby. If the father reached down and picked up the baby, then the baby would stay alive and stay in the home. If the father looked then down at the child and turned and walked away, either one, they would take the child out and kill it, or they would sell this child at the next auction. Do you get a picture now 
of how countercultural it was for Paul to say, Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but train them and give them instruction and care for them. And other passages, care for them and love them and nurture them. That was a tremendous paradigm shift. As a matter of fact, as you go and you read about, read of Seneca, and Seneca was a contemporary of the Apostle Paul, he would tell you that Roman policy in regard to unwanted animals or people was described in this way, and I quote from Seneca, we slaughter a fierce ox, we strangle a mad dog, we plunge a knife into a sick cow, and children who are born weak or deformed, we drown. That was first century Christianity. That was what took place in the culture of that day. We're profound. We're, we're, we're gasping when we hear something like that. But friends, may I remind you that things aren't much better today. Oh, we've dressed it up. We made it look real pretty. But millions of unwanted babies are aborted each year. Hello? Children have become a disposable commodity in our society, just as they were in ancient Rome. Hello, church? I mean, I won't give you the truth and the reality of it all. That's the world we live in today. But I think we need to get back to the Christian standard for a father and for a dad and for a home and Paul gives us some tremendous encouragement and instruction you see just as revolutionary it was for dads in first century Christianity to be faithful fathers that would not stir their children up to wrath instead instruct and give training to their children in the Lord just as it was countercultural in that day Today, I believe it's just as countercultural. With all the fatherless homes and the apathetic spirit and mindset that takes place in the life of some dads. Let me say this, guys. Do you realize it's biologically easy to become a father? I mean, just think about it. It's biologically easy to become a father, but it's biblically challenging. To actually father a child. Would you agree? Biologically easy. And for some dads, they think, boy, they can just check out after that. The rest is up to mom. No, it isn't. Dads, we have a tremendous role and stake in all of this. So let me go quickly and share with you three things I want to kind of unpack for you this morning. I want to share with you three dad duties or, or three areas that we dads, out of Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4, that we need to pay attention to. Number one, jot this one down in your notes if you will, please. Number one, we as dads, we need to avoid stirring up anger. We need to avoid stirring up anger. If you have the NIV, it talks about exasperate. Do not exasperate your children. The Holman translation says, do not stir up anger in your children. Now I realize the first duty is a negative. It's talking about what we should not do. And then it gives a tremendous contrast to it and shares with us two things that we should be doing. 
But the first duty is that we do not stir up anger. We need to be careful how we treat our children. We need to be careful what we say. We need to be careful what we do, that we're just not exasperating our children. Just stirring up anger in in them. The Bible calls for us as dads to be very careful and that we avoid anything that will eventually, get this, break the spirit of a child. Guys, do you realize, especially dads, do you realize what you say carries tremendous worth and tremendous power in the heart of a child? When they can hear dad saying something, and I'm amazed at some things, and I won't even give you a list of some of the things I'm amazed at. I've shared some of those with you before when I preach about fathers. I'm amazed at some of the things that I hear dads and even mothers say to their children, which you you don't really understand what's taking place. You're breaking their spirit The Bible says that we as fathers, we're not to do that. I mean, you know, you want to know who, listen, dads, you want to know who the number one cheerleader is for our children, for our sons, and for our daughters? It should be dad. Yes, there are times to correct and to rebuke, but there are also times to exhort and to encourage and to bring comfort. Hello? I mean, our kids should know that we're... I mean, the last thing I want to do is break the spirit of my children. Dads, let's be careful we don't do that. Well, what are some ways... And I almost want to spend more time here than I do on the other two because I think we kind of understand the other two. But some of these we kind of... Okay, I won't do that. Now, what am I supposed to do? I, I want you to look at some of these ways. What's some ways that we... Some common ways that... That we exasperate our children. What are some ways that we stir up anger in them? What are some ways that we break the spirit of a child? Let me give you, I'm going to give you several here. You can jot these down. Number one is overprotection. Matter of fact, this could be a whole series. I would love to preach a whole sermon about overprotective parents. There's tre- tremendous biblical examples of this. You go back in the book of Genesis and you study the life of Laban and you'll find that he was an overprotective parent for his daughters. And it wound up that his daughter got in a a horrible relationship and a devastated family as a result of this dad being overprotected. Fencing in too much. Holding our children down. Overprotecting them is a way that we can exasperate our children. There's more I could say. Oh, so much more I'd like to say about that. But i got to move on. Be careful with overprotecting. You know, that's one of the areas that I've really had to guard my heart about. And I want to protect my kids. I don't want to see them out there in things and I want to keep them away from this and watch out that they're not involved in that. And so if we're not real careful, we almost hover so much that we overprotect. And we got to realize that our children really aren't ours anyway. They're God's and He loves them far more than we love them and He can protect them so much better than we can protect them. We just got to be careful not to overprotect. Hello? Hmm. Are you with me there, guys? (laughs) Study the life of Laban, L-A-B-A-N, in the book of Genesis. You'll find out he had a daughter. Jacob married one of his daughters, Leah and Rachel. You know the story. He was a controlling parent, and it cost him his daughter having a healthy marriage for being overprotective. You can study that story out. I don't have time to unpack it. Another way that we exasperate 
or that we stir up anger, or that we break the spirit of our children. It's just the opposite, overindulgence. I mean, not only just being overprotective, but the polar opposite of that is overindulgence. I mean, there are no boundaries whatsoever. There are no limits. There's total freedom. Do whatever you want to do. Go wherever you want to go. And, and it's just the opposite. I mean, we're not protected at all anymore. Now, just everything's okay. Go experience it and try it. And there's no boundaries whatsoever. But guys, we've got to balance these two. I mean, we've got to have boundaries for our children. But a way to break the spirit of a child or, or, or to stir up anger is, in a child is just a flip side, the opposite of over, overprotection. It's overindulgence. And that's when we just excessively become permissive parents. And it eventually stirs up a children's wrath because studies have been done, get this, that prove that children who have been given too much freedom feel insecure and unloved. You've got to balance that. Boy, I'd like to unpack that more, but I've got to move on. Here's another one, favoritism. Boy, a way to stir up anger in a child is, is to show favoritism. Isaac did this. He favored, uh, favored Esau over, over Jacob. And, and Rebekah preferred Jacob over Esau. And man, that just makes for a dysfunctional family. Don't show favoritism. They are different. Don't expect them to be alive. That's one of the things that, that amazed me. I mean, whenever we had Tyler, he's our firstborn. I just assumed that every child we had after that would be just like him. How naive I was as a young parent. Our kids are different. That blows me away. You can have the same mother, the same father, the same DNA, the same environment, everything, and they'd be completely different. And, and, and Daryl Linda, and I think about Daniel and Phil as being twins, I mean, they even came out at the same time. Maybe not the same time, but boom, boom. <laughs> I'm sure they're completely different. We <laughs> get that image out of your mind. Okay, we we cannot show favoritism. We must be careful there. You see, the family of, of Isaac and Rebecca and Esau and Jacob, that family experienced tremendous agony. These two brothers became bitter, bitter rivals. And if you want to destroy your child, you make that child feel inferior to someone else in the family. Don't do that. Hello? What's another way that we stir up anger sometimes? And a lot of times we do these and we don't even acknowledge we're doing We don't even realize we're doing it. Guys, we must pay attention. Here's another one sometimes that dads, and, and I've got to be careful with this one, and not to push too hard and, you know, to lead and set example and, and not to push. This is one where I'm weak, and, and kids, forgive me if, I, if I've stumbled on this one. I know I stumble here a little bit. Setting unrealistic goals for our kids. We've got to guard against that. In other words, dads, we cannot provoke our kids to wrath by constantly pushing them to achieve. You gotta be careful. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse eleven. Write that reference down. I don't have it on the screen for you, and I'm not gonna have time to stop and turn there. But in that passage of scripture, Paul shows this fatherly concern for the church. And in that verse, he says, He said, We exhorted, we comforted, and we charged every one of you as a father does his own children. And guys, listen, yes, as a father, yes, we exhort, yes, we charge. Yes, we set goals for them. Yes, we push. 
But there's balance even in that. The scripture says also that Paul, one of the things they did for the church that he makes reference that fathers do for their children is that we bring comfort. And we need to learn how to comfort our children. Are y'all getting this this morning? Here's another one. Discouragement. Discouragement is another way that we stir up anger in our children, exasperate our children. As Colossians 3.21 says, says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. Colossians 3.21 challenges us that we are not to provoke our children to anger. If we do, they will become discouraged. That's just what it says. When we do that, we're going to discourage them. We're going to break their spirit is the word picture. That's what I want you to see that's taking place. Not that they're just sad for a day. I mean, there's things that i got to do that my kids don't like and they're just sad for a day. Well, you know what? I'm the parent, you're the child. Sometimes you're going to have that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the breaking of the spirit of a child. I'm talking about the discouragement that comes when a child's spirit is broken. We must guard against that. So, Dad, let me say a few things here. Dad, we need to cut down on the criticism and the sarcasm in the home. Hello? Hello? No place for that. Matter of fact, I don't even like it when other people come in my home and do that to my family. I mean, my wife and I have sat at the table sometime and I raised an eyebrow because I heard something I didn't like coming out of a guest in our home. And I, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a line. You're bumping it. Whether it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend or somebody brought in, oh, careful. We don't allow that around here. Hello? Listen, there's no way in the world I will allow you to physically walk into my house, ball up your fist, and hit either one of my children or my wife. You do that, I promise you, I'll become a man. I'll probably take the new man hat off, put the old man hat on, and you and I are going to go around. And I'll trust that God will forgive me. Hello? Why then, get this, why then would I as a dad allow someone to step into my home and verbally, emotionally beat up my children or my wife? It ain't happening. Right? I've even given counsel to some individuals even here in our church that struggle with low self-esteem and self-value and self-worth and, and, and I hear them sometimes cracking jokes on themselves to get everybody else to laugh at them. Don't do that. Would you take your fist and beat up yourself physically? No. Why do you do it verbally and emotionally? Don't do that. Hello? Man, this is good stuff. I hope you're getting some of this. Oh, let's cut down on the criticism and the sarcasm. Let's look for ways to celebrate and let's look for ways to applaud. Get this. Let's look for a way to give approval spontaneously. Instead of always looking at the negative of what not being done, let's try to catch them doing something good and give them approval of that just spontaneously. Boy, I'm becoming a big lover of Lecrae. He does Christian rap music. I was introduced to him when I went to a conference in Chicago about a month ago. I've started researching more and more about his life. I ran across his testimony, how he was raised in a fatherless home, and how he looked to his uncles as a role model for a dad or a male figure. 
And his uncles were in gangs and in the streets and in drugs and abusing women and alcohol and gangs and guns and knife cutting. And, just, and he thought that's what it was to be a man. And he looked up to them and he said, I want to be just like you. And all of a sudden he realized that was a dead end road. And then all of a sudden he met Jesus and his life completely changed. But here's one of the things that he said that I missed as a child. I never had anybody giving me approval. I never heard my dad say, I'm proud of you. I never heard my dad say, I love you. I never heard my dad applaud me for something I was doing. Guys, let me tell you, it's so, so powerful. As a dad, look for those moments and give that spontaneous approval to your children. It just lifts their spirits. Are you getting some of this stuff, guys? Anyhow, saying about Lecrae, he wrote a song called I Want to Be Just Like You. You need to Google it. It's on YouTube. I was going to play it for you this morning and make it happen, but I didn't make it happen. But 42,000 people have been watching this YouTube video. Go home. The lyrics come up on the screen. You see it. Lecrae, I want to be just like you. Listen to the message of that song, dads. Uh, this is homework for dads. I want you to go do that. Why? Because you have a, you have a son, you have a daughter that is right now Right now, they're watching you. And far more is caught than what is taught. They're watching you. And they want to be just like you. Dads, be careful how we live. Amen. They're watching. And they're getting it. And hopefully, they're getting the good stuff. Amen. What's another way that we stir up anger and neglect? We just neglect to show affection. We act indifferently. We neglect to get engaged in our children's life. We have our careers. We're so busy. We're tired. I know. Man, there's times when I come home from the office or come home from ministry and I am exhausted. Man, I've done counseling. I've, I've done studying. I've done visiting. I've done this and that. I've had meetings and this and that. And I'm, I just want to veg. And sometimes I remember now is not the time for that. I must get up and engage. Guys, we got to do it. Being a father, as I said at the beginning, is a verb. I want you to see it that way, not just a noun. Another way we break the spirit of our children, we stir up anger is excessive discipline. Don't ride your kids constantly. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to quickly give you point two and three just so you can jot them down. You can go home and study it out and see it. Of course, it's there in the passage of Scripture. Not only are we not to stir our children up to anger, exasperate our children, but we're also to provide training. I want you to notice that we are to provide training. Number three is to provide instruction. I want you to see that this scripture, Paul is telling dads, dads, rise up and lead. Rise up and lead. There are children that are waiting for you to lead. And he's telling them, dads, us, Paul's telling us, God's telling us through Paul, that we are to provide training. It's not mom's job to do all the training. It's dad's job to do the training. We're to set the boundaries. We're to provide the training. We're to look for those God moments. We're to insert what happens when you live for God and give some godly principles along the way. Provide the training and provide the instruction. But notice both of these say how we, how we to provide the training and instruction in what? In 
the Lord. In the Lord. Men, God has called you to be a leader. Dads, get this. You are the point man in the home. Dads, you're it. Dads, you're the point man. Dads, you're the coach. Dads, you're the leader. The question is, will you rise up and lead? My children are going to come at this time and they're going to sing a special for you. I want you to listen, not so much at the way they sing it. I want you to listen to the words of the song that they're singing. And I want you to take it to heart. Because, Dad, our goal is to not merely get our kids to outwardly conform to a set of rules. Instead, our mandate is to develop children who seek to glorify God in their lives. I want you to pray for them as they sing, and I want you to listen to words. I look around, I see my wonderful life, almost perfect from the outside. In picture frames, I see my beautiful wife, always smiling, but on the inside, oh, I can hear her saying, lead me with strong hands and stand.
Good job. Good job. Dads, that's, that's the question this morning. Will you rise up and lead? And just let me say this as a way that will hopefully encourage you. I know I've gone to conferences and men's retreats and men's conferences and preachers get up and preach about how men are supposed to be and things they're supposed to do and I'll be honest with you sometimes I leave there discouraged and I'll never be able to do all that I'll never be able to live up to that standard and I leave there sometimes defeated so I want you to know I've sat where you're sitting this morning so therefore with that in mind as the speaker today I want to share something with you I don't want you to get discouraged I don't want you to leave here feeling defeated, discouraged, or beat up. There's three things I want you to know, and I jotted these down in my notes so I remember to share them with you. The first thing I want you to know, number one, there are no perfect dads. Say it again. Let's say it with me. There are no perfect dads. That was weak. Let's all say it together. Wives, help them. There are no perfect dads. God's not calling you to be perfect. You, you'd, never, you'd never reach that goal. There's only one perfect Father. That's our Father in heaven. Amen? You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We stumble. We make mistakes. But I like to look at that as learning. I love John Maxwell's book about failing forward. Not falling forward, but failing forward. Whenever you stumble and you fall and you make a mistake, if you learn from it, put that in the data set, man, I learned that lesson. I'm not going there again. Things are going to change. You tweak it and you move. Man, that's wonderful. We all make mistakes. So number one thing I want to tell you is that there are no perfect fathers. The second thing I want to tell you is this. Every single one of us can be better dads tomorrow than we are today if we just work on it. I promise you, you can. But you have to be intentional about it. And it won't happen tomorrow, not even next week or next month, but I promise you over a series of months and years and you get down, your family, your wives, your children, or your wife <laughs> and your children will be able to look back at your life and say, man, you're a great dad. I just see so much growth in you. None of us are perfect, but I promise you, if you work at it, you can be a better daddy tomorrow than you are today, okay? Third thing I want to say is this, no father can do it alone. You, you cannot do this alone. I think you need two or three things. Number one, you need the Lord. You can't do it without Him. promise you, you can't do it without the Lord. That's a lesson I had to learn the hard way. I'm a, man, sometimes, and you ask anybody knows, sometimes I can be stubborn, hard-headed. Don't say amen. 
I got this, sometimes I have this independent spirit about me. I don't need anybody, I don't need anything, I don't need God, do it. God's had to break me over that a few times in my life. And guys, I want you to know this. It's okay to ask for help. You can't do this alone. You cannot live in Ephesians 6, 4 by yourself. There's no way possible for you to do that. You need a few things. You need the Lord, first and foremost. You need God's Word. You need to be in this every day. You need to pray. Let me share with you something maybe a little bit more practical, a little more tangible you can get your arms around. You need other men in your life. Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, O'Fallon, Illinois, 62269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.